0: For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I want to start this week's readout based on our weekly newsletter, not with the usual request that you subscribe and support us, although you should, but with a word of thanks. Lots of you, from all kinds of places, including now the Faroe Islands, have posted comments wishing that more people could see our videos and get the message. And I want to express my appreciation and, you saw this coming, right? Ask for a favor. Specifically, if you find our videos useful, and think they should be watched more widely by your fellow citizens, and politicians, and anybody else, please consider recording a brief video clip explaining why and sending it to us using the link info at climatedn.com. And now, back to the Alps, the famous snowy European mountains. Snowy? Well, they're not meant to be thanks to global warming. If you google quote, warming in the Alps, end quote, you'll get a funeral oration for the European ski industry. Because you'll be told temperatures are soaring, snow is disappearing, and winter as we know it, is ending again. But what did the data show? Well, a detailed study of winter temperatures at summit locations across the Alps over the past half century says, overall temperature has risen only 0.7 degrees Celsius, which some people may mistake for the trump of doom, but which is statistically indistinguishable from zero. And if you drop the 1970s, which are known to have been unusually cold, there isn't even a statistically insignificant trend. Now, of course, if some parts of the planet are warming faster than others, then it follows logically that some must be warming more slowly. But journalists and activists never seem to live in the latter kinds of places. Thus, from Mont Blanc, the Research Center for Alpine Ecosystems, quote, at the scale of the European Alps over the course of the 20th century, temperatures have risen by two degrees Celsius, 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit. This rise is greater than the French average of 1.4 degrees Celsius, 2.5 degrees Fahrenheit, and double the increase recorded in the Northern Hemisphere, end quote. And time blared that, quote, green and brown, it appears, are the new white across the Southern European peaks, as climate change, which historically has done its most noticeable damage closer to sea level, now reaches higher, end quote. And so the current snow line, quote, is about 3,900 feet, which is a historic high in some areas, but worse lies ahead as scientists predict melt even at nearly 10,000 feet by the end of the century, end quote. Except, of course, nothing's happening, except weather is fluctuating in the Swiss, German, and Austrian Alps, the way it does, well, pretty much everywhere. Still, maybe James Bond could check into it. He always liked skiing, and he may have some time on his hands, because Britain's spy agency has announced that it's making monitoring China's compliance with its Paris commitments a top priority. Which shouldn't take much time, because China has no Paris commitments worth monitoring. The IPCC may call the Paris Agreement, quote, a legally binding international treaty on climate change, end quote, and then seek to fuel paranoia by declaring that, quote, implementation of the Paris Agreement requires economic and social transformation based on the best available science, end quote. But the actual text merely commits participants to make big talking promises, unless they're not in the West, in which case, quote, developing country parties should continue enhancing their mitigation efforts and are encouraged to move over time towards economy-wide emission reduction or limitation targets in the light of different national circumstances, end quote. And anyway, the South China Morning Post recently wrote, quote, China's carbon reduction target looks elusive as banks keep throwing cash at coal mines and power plants, undercutting Xi Jinping's plan to slash fossil fuels, end quote. Poor Chairman Xi, a tyrannical communist dictator, and he can't even get banks to stop funding and companies to stop building coal fueled power plants in a country where anyone who annoys him disappears. Maybe Bond can figure that one out. Or perhaps it's a job for Inspector Clouseau. It appears the Chinese Communist Party's promise to fight GHGs was a lie. Yeah. We also bring you dead coral, dead whales, and other dead photogenic sea stuff, thanks to a warning that, quote, our recent study found the ocean around the equator has already become too hot for many species to survive, and that global warming is responsible, end quote. And, quote, when the same thing happened 252 million years ago, 90% of all marine species died, end quote. Uh Uh-oh, here comes the historian looking at climate change again, including the question of evidence. Because the authors of that study seem to think we have very detailed records of where all marine species hung out over a very long time. And it turns out, according to them, that since 1955 there's been, quote, a growing dip over time in the spell shape, end quote. Meaning, from 1955 to 1974, there were more species at the equator than elsewhere, except there weren't, because the real peak was around 30 degrees north. But, from 1975 to 1994, there were big peaks at around 30 degrees north and south, and a dip in the middle. A pattern that became considerably less pronounced from 1995 to 2015. Not more pronounced. Then there's this issue of 252 million BC. It seems, quote, at the end of the Permian geological period, about 252 million years ago, global temperatures warmed by 10 degrees Celsius over 30,000 to 60,000 years as a result of greenhouse gas emissions from volcano eruptions in Siberia, end quote. Well, of course, CO2 is to blame. To the scholar with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But at that point, evolution apparently stalled, since the poor critters couldn't adapt over 60,000 years, end quote. And then there's the hair-raising Eemian mass extinction, in which, quote, during the rapid warming around 125,000 years ago, there was a similar swift movement of reef corals away from the tropics as documented in the fossil record. The result was a pattern similar to the one we describe, although there was no associated mass extinction, end quote. Got that? Warming caused a mass extinction, except it didn't. As it also didn't. When the Holocene began, come to think of it. You know, we historians aren't in the habit of pouncing on things that are identically different, but never mind. The point is, we're all going to die from CO2, even the manta rays. Or not. Because to continue the fun with historians holding opinions on climate, we again offer up Brian Fagan's 2000 book, The Little Ice Age, How Climate Made History, 1300 to 1850, which is full bore alarmism, but of an earlier vintage, one that admits there was a medieval warm period and a little ice age. And Fagan also says extreme weather's worse in cold periods. And Heresy of Heresies, on page 216, he says, quote, Recently, James Hansen and a group of his colleagues have argued that the rapid warming of recent decades has in fact been driven mainly by non-CO2 gases such as chlorofluorocarbons, end quote. What? The James Hansen? At two, brute? Raising other possibilities than, quote, carbon pollution, end quote? Somebody cancel that man. Now, in fact, I should mention that Fagan isn't a historian, at least not if you have a diploma fetish. What he is is an anthropologist who commits the cardinal academic offense of having informed and interesting opinions on a wide range of subjects. Good heavens, imagine if we had an electorate like that. Somebody cancel him too. Especially for agreeing with Hansen that, quote, much more research is needed confirm this hypothesis end quote so much for the settled science and on through the past we slog looking at a casual aside in an article on the Eocene a period relatively free of political controversy due to its having ended about thirty three point nine million years ago in which Wikipedia blurts out something hidden in plain sight quote, an issue arises however when trying to model the Eocene and reproduce the results that are found with the proxy data end quote. Namely that, as usual, models meant to predict the future cannot even reproduce the past. Quote, the models, while accurately predicting the tropics, tend to produce significantly cooler temperatures of up to 20 degrees Celsius, 36 degrees Fahrenheit, colder than the actual determined temperature at the poles. This error has been classified as the, quote, equable climate problem, end quote, twice. But as Richard Kipling said, Giving something a long name doesn't make it better. And the real problem here is that climate models are created to say CO2 causes warming, so that's what they say no matter what really happens. And speaking of no matter what really happens, here's some more outrageous denier propaganda you can post on your Facebook page in the hopes of triggering their army of fact-checkers. This week's dare quote, Anyone who says global warming means more droughts is just making it up to scare you. Scientists don't know. The IPCC once said droughts have been getting more frequent globally, but that's wrong. They've gone up in some places and down others. Big deal. That's how it goes. Yeah. What? Yes, that's a paraphrase of the IPCC's Fifth Assessment Report Working Group, number one, chapter two, page 215. And the AR-4 they mention in a moment refers to the previous IPCC report in 2007. Quote, The current assessment concludes that there is not enough evidence at present to suggest more than a low confidence in a global scale observed trend in drought or dryness lack of rainfall since the middle of the 20th century, owing to lack of direct observations, geographical inconsistencies in the trends, and dependencies of inferred trends on the index choice. Based on updated studies, AR4 conclusions regarding global increasing trends in drought since the 1970s were probably overstated, end quote. Low confidence being their euphemism for, I should think that's highly unlikely, and overstated being their euphemism for, wild exaggeration plus invention. As usual in the newsletter, we also present two studies from co2science.org, one getting a little bit out of their usual comfort zone to compare the various satellite temperature data sets that are battling it out because, like the rest of the science, that part's not settled. The paper they review says the satellites seem to have overestimated warming between 1990 and 2001, but the best data set is the least scary one, from the University of Alabama at Huntsville. The other CO2Science.org study is right in their wheelhouse because it's a look at the impact of elevated CO2 on cucumber mosaic virus infection. Once again, the remarkable result is that healthier plants are better at fighting off parasites, and CO2 makes plants healthier. If that sounds pretty obvious, well, in some sense it is. But the study in question gets deeply into how it happens, which is worth doing even if a, they were studying a possibly confused cucumber mosaic virus because it was attacking tobacco plants, Nicotiana tobacco, which are not currently regarded as worth saving by many people, though it turns out the cucumber mosaic virus is a pretty indiscriminate eater. And b, the general conclusion is so obvious that it takes a trained climate scientist to doubt it. Well, that's it for now, except that bit about asking you to film short testimonials about our work and sending them to us at info at climatedn.com and, of course, dipping into the piggy bank to help us until the Koch brothers come through. Which means it's time to say, for the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson and, ah, they turned it off.